Oh, oh, hello there. Welcome back. Well, I guess if you're just starting this uh, series of ours, welcome. But if you're uh, coming back, welcome back. And I am Kendall. And I'm Bree with uh, guest star Boo. Hey, Boo. If you hear a purr and she's here again. <laughs> and this is when the light goes out. But that would be cute. That would be cute. Gosh. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> oh my God. I don't know why I'm so jittery today. I haven't had no coffee. But you know what? Probably the lack of coffee. Lack of coffee. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, lack of coffee. But I've also been very dedicated to the gym lately. I'm so proud of Good myself. You. Thank you. I, I, I'm sure everyone, or not everyone, but I'm sure a lot out there go regularly and uh they're like it's not that hard but hey it's a big step for me so <laughs> yeah i mean for some people like yeah bitch, i had never stepped foot in a gym until <laughs> simon's sister took me one time two times two times that was oh. my first <laughs> sounds like the first time i've ever been first to a gym someone had to take me there and i'm like oh okay this yeah. is okay i guess and i only went because i wanted to hang out with her unless i wanted you. to go to the gym i've been on a couple date gym dates which i don't strongly suggest those maybe you, I, maybe you guys do maybe you guys are super big gym record outers at the time or something and you guys love doing that stuff but me oh no I will never again. <laughs> I feel like it's not like a very personable. Mm, no. At least not for like a first or second date. Maybe like a couple dates. In. Double, yeah. Or there's like this one time that I had. Uh, what did I do? Where do we go? Girl, Kendall got so many stories. You <laughs> can't even remember. She's right. Um, no, I. Where was I? Fuck. Oh, we went to get. We went to do. Um, not yoga, but. Uh, pilates we went to do pilates together but first we got high like a first date thing yeah okay (laughs) but um yeah we had gotten high went into the little studio he actually worked there too um we went to the little studio and did (laughs) she's like okay (laughs) cheap first date he works there (laughs) yeah he does um so yeah, that that date happened. It was a nice little uh, plotty sesh with one of his good friends that worked there, and it was awkward because I'm like, at first I didn't know he worked there. I was like, oh, you work here? Because we're like sitting in his car smoking or whatever, yeah. and he was like, yeah, I work here. I was like, oh shit. So yeah, there's that. <laughs> I remember later later that day I got a ticket from Detroit. It was like, whoa, it was like a whopping fifty five dollars. For what? For parking and a handicap by accident. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say it has to be a parking ticket because that's the only thing Detroit cops, or I guess that's not even the cops. Those are like the meter ma- maids. Yeah. But the cops in Detroit, y'all, They're they don't it. care about shit. Well, in my defense. <laughs> like driving, the they way, don't care. Yeah. The, Speeding? No. They don't care. They don't give a shit. Well, Unless you're doing like a hundred and like a thirty-five. Okay, yeah, that huh? that that's. But if you're doing like 40, 45, 50. Well, I was gonna say gonna I didn't even want to go at the time because I was downtown at like some some bar visiting a friend with a friend, and um I had parked like on the street and 
it, I didn't even know I was parked near like the handicapped because the sign was so far away from where I parked. It, apparently, it still applied to that area. So I was like, you well. probably could have fought that shit. I know. And everyone said that at the time. I was just being lazy. I just paid it. But. Yeah. I mean, that shit's <laughs> annoying. Parking is so fucking annoying. I yeah. hate Oh my God. Parking. I'm sorry. Like, Royal but Oak, fuck you. There, yeah, I was just going to say, Royal oh, yeah. Oak has that new thing where they, they get me every time. Yeah. Every time I park in Royal Oak, they, like, have this, like, sensor thing. Uh-huh. So, like, if you back your car up and you, like, park there, if you don't pay it right then and there, they're going to take a picture of it because they have little pic- yeah, cameras, cameras inside of them. Yeah. Well, seriously, fuck you. They're and so they're confusing. Like They are, yeah. Like, I don't know which one is supposed to be, like, That's the spot the that I'm parking in, yeah. like, the number. And, I, like, they're so high tech. Like, I know how to de- pay a Detroit parking meter, but, like, a Royal Oak one, I don't fucking get it. It's all, like, app. You have to go on the I app. Don't you have get to it. get this shit. You have to pay like, it that I way. I come here once a goddamn uh, year. Yeah, they do it on purpose just to get you. Yeah, and I'm so sure they, they do get it. their $10. Yeah, I'm sure they do it so many other places. But, yeah, there's that. Um, but we won't waste too much more time on our our little tech talks. <laughs> our TED Talks. Our TED Talks. Um, about our lives. Um, we're just going to start... Oh, before we even start our case today, um, just a quick... Uh, I guess just some some news for you guys. Um, just so you guys aren't too like, whoa, what's going on next episode? Um, so we're at episode 29, right? Obviously. Episode 30 comes next week for you guys. And then that actually wraps up our first uh, season. I guess on our record, it does. <laughs> um, long ass season. Long ass season, yeah. Like shameless or something? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> No, seriously. It's been two seasons. I know. Fuck. Yeah, we... we yeah. Um, yeah, well, we decided um, at episode 30, we're going to cap it at that. We're going to leave you guys off with 30 episodes. Um, we aren't... We're not going to treat it like a real TV... It's not like a TV show or anything. We're not going to just go away for a whole year or anything. Um, we anticipate... Uh, one second. Let me actually get my phone. I don't want to be wrong on this. Um, <clears throat> let me clear my throat. <laughs> so we will be returning. Um, so we'll be completely just not posting anything all of April. We intend to be back, um, on May 5th. So s- dot it in your schedules, do whatever you do to remind yourself, but we'll, we will be back. We just need a little break, break. We just need a little break, a break. I think there's a lot going on next month for us. Um, a lot of decisions being made. A lot of uh, Brie is going to be finishing school soon. And by that time, I think in May, she'll just be in her way out. So, <laughs> yeah, we just got a lot going on in the next month. And we just really need a little time, if anything, on the show, too, just to catch up a little bit. Um, I think it'll be really nice because we'll have a little <clears throat> area to just breathe. We can record whenever mm-hmm. we want. Um, and it doesn't have to be so late in the night. So, um, I think that that was just some news that I wanted to run past you guys. Um, and we'll, of course, just update you on everything that happens in the next month. We'll give you another reminder next episode, but yeah, there's that. Um, I'll be in New York, which is exciting. Um, and the big apple, Apple. but speaking of the big apple, a perfect segue into our case today. 
it takes place in the Big Apple. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so, um, let me just get out my notes for you guys, and let's just dive into the case right now. Um, so, today's case is called The Back Murders and The Last Call Killer. And... Two for one special. A two for one, a double feature. <laughs> I don't know why I got so excited. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. A two for one special. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> All right. So this story initially starts in 1960s NYC. And prior to the devastating events of the back murders was yet another big event within the LGBTQ community. Man, what do people got against the gays? Uh, girl. Oh, one quick thing I just remembered. Yeah, this is like our... How many times have we done... Okay, last last week was... It had gays included, but it wasn't fully gays. What are you doing, boob? She's trying to bite the cord. God damn it, Hey, boo. stop. <laughs> okay, she's chilling. She's chilling. We're good. Would Sorry. It be, would it really be our show if we didn't get interrupted by a cat at least once? No, it wouldn't be. You're right. <laughs> I'm so scared as she jumps on, like, the laptop. It's over. I don't think she will. Okay. She's chilling. She she likes she it. She's vibing. Okay. Anyways. Be I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> Jesus. We're talking about the gays. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of episodes on gays so far. <laughs> we love the gays. We love the gays. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah. that uh, This big event was the 1969 Stonewall protest and rebellion. Um, and if anyone doesn't know what the Stonewall Uprising was, it was truly a catalyst for the gay rights movement in the United States and globally, quite honestly. On June 28th, 1969, the New York City police had raided this gay club called the Stonewall Inn, which is located in Greenwich. Uh, sorry, it's called Greenwich. I think we said Greenwich before last episode. I can't remember, but... Probably. Probably, yeah. It's uh, Greenwich. So that's Greenwich Village um, in New York City. The raid had infuriated... Uh, the raid had infuriated patrons and um, neighborhood residents that passed by. And eventually, everyone in the great global nation just kind of knew about it. And... Unfortunately, at this moment, people just had to watch police aggressively throw out just employees and patrons out of this bar. Uh, This event led to six days of protests and violent exchanges with the law enforcement that stood outside of the bar on Christopher Street and other neighboring streets and Christopher Park. Now, I did actually visit the Stonewall Inn before. Um, It's the Stonewall Inn, again, is it's a club a gay club um it's still running it's a great time too i went um what year is it uh 2023 2023 i went there in 2021 Uh, yes yes yeah we're gonna say that yeah i think that's when i went um i went in the first time i think in 2022 2020 oh my god i'm getting confused now fuck i went in 2021 for sure and um it was a really good time. I remember they were playing, I think it was like Madonna Night or something. Love. Love. I would hope there's such like an important um, peak of history, I guess. Yeah. Especially for the community. So it's, I would it's hope super, that they would be, you know, still trucking Still and trucking along. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely, I think, just a great um, place to visit if you guys ever 
are in New York. Um, Greenwich Village is just a nice place to be at. They have other places to go to, too. Um, I also found out that same trip that Carrie Bradshaw's house is also right around the corner, which I love because fucking love Sex in the City. Um, and yeah, it's just a great time. So if you guys are ever there or if you live there, I'm sure you know about it already, obviously, but it's a great time to visit. So how does this pertain to the rest of the story? Well, first of all, after the Stonewall Uprising eventually ended, the LGBTQ plus community was thriving. People were dancing in the streets, people threw block parties, the gays were gang. I'll just say that. The gays were gang. The gays were, were gang, cut. darling. <laughs> they were serving cut, they were serving flawless. They Love were it. Serving serving they're they serving the serving serve they were serving that swirl i that love it swirl. <laughs> um <clears throat> i'm also not sure if this sorry i turned on my mic a little bit it's a little loud i'm also not really sure if this win um was eventually inspired by or inspired ballroom culture but the art form actually started in harlem new york only one year later which was in defiance of the laws which banned individuals from wearing clothes associated with the opposite gender. Um, So in which they just responded by having competitions and pageants and, you know, in the opposite sex clothing. So I guess that, that, I guess, I don't know, maybe that was compared to, I don't know if that was, I don't know, had anything to do with uh, the riots or was at least inspired by it, but that did happen at the same time. Um, And a lot of good change was being made to the Greenwich Village community, although it only took one monster to ruin that feeling of freedom from the LGBTQ plus community. Because between 1975 and 1976, six dismembered corpses of unidentified queer men would turn up in the Hudson River in trash bags. Jesus. <laughs> we really jump it right into it. We, yeah, we went from who to ha. So, no kidding. Now, you did just hear me say unidentified queer men. I'll explain a little later how they were identified as queer in a sec. There was already this feeling that the queer community was not protected by those that were supposed to protect them. Cough, cough, the police. <laughs> and the police especially did not take a liking to anyone who was gay at this time. I truly personally feel like this case, which is titled The Bag Murders, could have been solved way sooner had the police put in more care into the case Though, unfortunately, the families of these men would never receive answers as to who and who had committed these murders. So I believe it. they're just remaining. Yeah. And they're just remaining John Doe's. Now, the system and the press failed these people because of their sexuality. People even started coining the murders, the fag in a bag murders. Just, yeah. It's fucked up still. <laughs> it's like equally fucked up and like kind of like, huh, I see your humor, but okay. I see what you did there, I but see, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so as we discussed in our last um, episode, Curse Films, chapter two, if you guys didn't listen, go back to it. Yeah, they connect y'all. <sighs> yeah. Um, suspicion did fall on a man named Paul Bateson, who had oddly appeared as an extra in The Exorcist. 
again. It's an interesting episode. Go check it out. So, <laughs> during this trial, um, during his trial for the murder of Variety reporter Addison Barrel, many law officials and reporters were left questioning his ties to a case of male bodies found in the Hudson River. The suspicions grew after an old friend of his had claimed to hear Paul relish about killing and dismembering multiple men throughout New York City. He was never tried for the murders, unfortunately, because there was not enough evidence to convict him of the six murders. But from little comparisons against what he had already did to one queer man, it, it made sense. First of all, throughout this period, Paul was known to frequent a club called Anvil and a club called Mineshaft, which are two queer nightclubs, or they were. I don't know if these nightclubs are really fully into the queer subculture of leather, but Paul was recognized to be one that went to clubs that were leather clubs or leather nights or hat leather nights. Um, and uh, if people don't know, again, uh, so like... I guess to explain a little bit, leather, the term leather, it's kind of, uh, it's a, it's kind of like a, it's a title, it's kind of, well, I don't even know how to explain it really. It's like a title for a subculture of the queer community. Yeah. Who yeah. like, like leather bondage almost. Yeah, right? exactly. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah explained it, you explained it perfectly, yeah. Um, and it's not, I mean, I'm sure at the time people saw it as demonic or some shit oh probably yeah 60s right uh 70s so yeah um easy 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 (laughs) and uh (laughs) she was probably demonic as hell yeah so unfortunately i mean that was the outlook on this already you're gay then you're doing all this leather stuff and it's dark and it's raunchy not all leather i will say not all leather um parties or things like that are super you know intense things that people might think of when it comes to just leather parties they just want to have fun they just want to lay back and chill and do their thing be free whatever yeah. else so be themselves be themselves yeah and many men that would go generally went to keep things on the low and discreet and paul was known from those around him to be really into again the leather subculture so when some of the body parts were found so were their outfits the outfits all were leather nightclub gear that tracked back to Greenwich Village, where a lot of queer men in the community frequented the two leather nightclubs. I guess they also had tattoos that were kind of like resembling the queer or like queer symbols. So that also kind of gave it away. But that is pretty much what gave it away that they were queer. So there was that. And then there were never ruled a cause of death nor a name to any of the bodies. So unfortunately, that sucks. How did no one know that their people were missing? Yeah, that's the thing. No one knows. Like they in the I think the true problem about this case specifically is just that no one cared. Yeah. Like the NYPD neglected and the press neglected mm. them. They just didn't care. They saw them as Okay. the facts and the bags or whatever they call yeah. them and, and i it, guess at that point too like um some of those people might have been disowned from their family and disowned and that's yeah i was gonna so, just like, say nine times out of ten yeah if people are going to move to you know new york or something or at this time at least they would definitely um 
if they were cursed specifically um, and they're on the streets or something, most of the time it was because their families disowned them. So unfortunately, it's just sad to think that we don't know who these people were. They still have never identified who these people were. And the case is technically still cold because they didn't pin anyone for this murder. Like they didn't put it on anyone. So it's just out there. It's just still there, which is just so sad. Now, Bateson ultimately was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison in 1979 for those murder uh, for the murder of Addison Verrill, which we talked about before. Um, and he had served uh, 24 years being released in August of 2003 and went rogue after somewhere in upstate New York. And no one was really aware for a long time if he was even still alive. But curious researchers later had found out from the Social Security Death Index that he, in fact, had passed away in September 15th of 2012. So he did end up passing away. Um, but let's keep the scene going. We're still in New York, 1979. After Bateson had initially confessed to the murders, a lot of New York residents felt like they could just breathe again and they could just, you know go back to just things way were the things the way things were and they could just live their lives in a happy life again but sadly in 1981 the global hiv aids epidemic hit and it hit hard by 1991 the new york queer community were struck with fear again because it seemed that the back murders weren't long ago and yet they have this epidemic, but now more dismembered bodies turning up. Yeah, more dismembered bodies. On May 6, 1991, sanitation workers collecting trash near the New Jersey Turnpike find dismembered remains of an unidentifiable John Doe spread throughout various trash cans, all lined up next to one another. And I'll say that again, spread throughout various trash cans, lined up next to each other that's not just you're throwing someone's remains into one freaking trash can no you're oh it gives me chills you're who, separating them. you're separating them and then placing them side by side yeah like what's the point you could have put them all into one <sighs> yeah and like that sounds morbid but it's it, i don't know it makes sense like it, it's just like as the if mind. they caused or they wanted this to happen yeah or... the mind of someone who's crazy yeah Oh, I don't. Uh. So when police arrived to the scene, they had discovered around the trash cans a black bloodstained bed sheet. Next to that, they saw a saw. What was that? That was my hood. It hit oh. <laughs> um. When police arrived to the scene, they had discovered around the trash cans a black bloodstained bed sheet. Black bloodstained. Yes. Damn. So it was yeah. already colored black and it had blood all over it. Yeah, that's, you can't see a lot of blood on the black. Yeah. So it must have been a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, and there was that. And then there was a saw. So the saw was like right next to it. And I guess like. I mean, he left all the evidence. He like... left all the evidence. And then on top of that, there was like latex gloves. And they're both completely covered in blood. Now. Why the fuck's the DNA? I know. I guess it's the 70s too and they didn't give yeah. a shit. Yeah, well, I don't think DNA well, came technically this is, the 80s. This is uh, the 90s now, so technically. Oh, shit. The, yeah, they got jumps. shit for that. Wait, but wait, we'll get to it. They oh. actually don't yet. Uh, we will get there, I promise. <laughs> no, we'll get there, I promise you. Inside one of the trash cans, though. So, 
around. We have all this scattered evidence. evidence. And inside the trash cans just sits his wallet. Inside one of the trash cans where his body parts had been. This was identified as 54-year-old Peter Anderson. I know. Peter was an investment banker from Philadelphia that had been primarily visiting Manhattan for a political fundraiser. Now, Peter had been married twice to both women and separated from his second marriage the same year, actually, that he was unfortunately brutally murdered in 1991. My sources didn't say whether or not he was out to anyone, but after his murder his friends would later comment that they knew he was kind of into men. And after he had finally got divorced, they had figured that he would kind of open up and be a little happier. But unfortunately he really never came out and leading up to his death, he just never seemed happy. So that is just really heartbreaking to even hear. He left behind two children and witness statements claimed that he had been seen last alive alone at the townhouse bar in Midtown. Now, the townhouse bar was a uh, piano, I almost said pizza, a piano and jazz club (laughs) that a lot of older queer men had frequented at the time. If not older men, it was just younger men attempting, you know, to pick up some sugar daddies. Um, And... I know, right? That sounds like me. Um, and then I I think it's still running today. I'm not sure, but I kind of watched one um <clears throat> one documentary and it was going on, it was really recent, so I think it's still open. Um and just not sure about the clientele these days. But anywho, July 1992, one year after the murder of Peter Anderson, 57-year-old computer sales rap Thomas Mulkey, I hope I said that right was found in the same spot Peter Anderson had been found in. Around the same age, too. Yeah. So, again, it was found that he was dismembered, and his remains were spread throughout several different trash cans, and it was near the New Jersey Turnpike. According to sources and court documents, Thomas had a uh, had been a father of four okay. that lived with his wife and children in Massachusetts. Now, his wife actually had reportedly known that Thomas was actively having affairs with other men, or at least she found out, which I cannot imagine that situation that she was in. (laughs) That has to be a lot. Um, Thomas had flown in from Boston for work and stayed in Manhattan, and he actually had had a presentation to give at the World Trade Center, which, rest in peace, 9-11. And later on, during an investigation, investigators would track Thomas's credit card down to the townhouse bar. Once again, where Peter Anderson was also seen last a month earlier. Almost a year goes by. So now we're in the springtime, maybe May of 1993. And 44-year-old male sex worker by the name of Anthony Morero is found dead, similarly disposed in trash cans after disappearing months earlier. But this time he wasn't dumped at the New Jersey Turnpike, the other like the other two. Anthony's remains have been found in a very rural area of New Jersey this time. So it kind of sounds like maybe this serial killer is getting kind of creative and trying not to get caught and by yeah getting crafty but it still seems like he's like he said before getting a little i don't know like he wants you to find these kind of things because he just had 
he wants, uh, oh god, like, how can you explain it? Like, he wants the five minutes of fame without being caught. Exactly, know? exactly. Like, he wants people <clears throat> to know, like, what he's doing, but he doesn't want them to know who he is. Yes, yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I do agree. You're definitely right on that part. And, uh, we'll see how far he gets with this. So that same year, July of 1993, another dismembered body of an unidentified man was found. This time in Rockland County, New York, at a rest stop off a highway. After investigators took hold of the scene, they had a pathologist identify the John Doe as 56-year-old Michael Sakara. Michael Sakara had been openly out as gay, and he worked for the New York Law Journal and was last seen at Greenwich Village, <laughs> the same area where the six queer men started disappearing a decade prior and have been labeled the back murders. Hysteria had again turned into chaos, and the LGBTQ community wanted this killer caught as soon as possible. People were afraid. They were thinking, you know, I go out all the time, now I have to stay in. The fear is around. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so one big complication that arose from the New York Police Department was that this killer's MO seemed really tricky. This person this this person would go into the city to find their victim, but then dispose of them outside of the city limits. The flock of officers that came to help this specific case just seemed to be a little more caring or at least more authoritative of the situation rather than the last case I can actually say, but it still got a little hard for this for this case just because I guess it makes sense if uh, if something happens. Oh, that's a weird situation because, I mean, in terms of the police unit, you kind of have to leave it to the people that find it. I guess in another in another kind of county or another area, so I guess it does get a little mm, gray. gray. Yeah. Little yeah. Gray. So eventually, press had got word, and since this serial killer's mo seemed to be preying on victims at clubs before they closed, they coined the killer the last call killer. Makes sense now. The one thing I I skipped over that is crucial. Oh, are you biting me? No, she was trying was, to play with you. Oh my you. god. I'm so sorry. I thought she was trying no, to bite me. I was like, ow. No, those are her claws. Jesus Christ. Okay. She's not a menace. She's a, she is a menace. She's just trying to play, though. <laughs> no, it's okay. She just scared me. I didn't even realize That's the that second time your... she scared me this episode. Dude. I didn't even realize she was. that was your leg. I thought she was trying. I thought you had something dangling oh. that she was trying to get. Because I think she sees you moving the Apple Pencil a lot. Oh, all right and she's like oh i want to play with it yeah okay, so i, I think she was like thinking about jumping on you god damn it boo okay i'm telling you bad bro. i got my fear for the night and <laughs> jesus christ that was the second time she scared me so many times and then i scared you with my foot oh yeah you did scare me <laughs> <laughs> you were like i'm a little jumpy today <laughs> oh my god so i'm sorry uh where he had left off uh the press eventually had coined the killer the last call killer one thing I had skipped over that's crucial is when the several bodies were found, any evidence had already been found washed of prints. So they had really no nothing to go off of in, ter- in terms of the prints. I know Brie had briefly mentioned like towards the beginning that it seemed like weird that they left so many different things laying around. 
They did, but there were no prints. Although, there were one bloody handprint found on one of the scenes. But, unfortunately, right before this case happened, they didn't have any way to effectively look at the prints. (laughs) So, yeah, there is that. The consistent murderers of queer men in New York did seem to stop for a chunk of time after the discovered remains of Michael Sakara had been found in 1993, although families of all these victims were left with no idea what happened to their loved ones, who had done it, and why. There was not a break in this case until 2001. So that really sucks, and that means that eight years had gone by, with no lead or answers for any of these murders. No justice. So unfortunately, in situations like this, where the case is never solved right away, it just really becomes forgotten about in the media and not on anyone's mind other than the victim's loved ones, I guess. And as far as anyone knew, the killer could have been long gone at this point. The only reason that this case was even considered to be reopened prior to the break in in the case was because Thomas uh, Macaulay, or I think it's Macaulay, the father of four, um, his wife was so persistent to get justice for him, which is crazy. This man was having an affair and she still was there to find out what happened. Well, I feel like in a way it's like, yeah, be mad, but also in a way it's like, you still have love for that person. Yeah, and I, I, he did have four other children, too. Yeah, and Like, you still have love for that person. He's the father of your kids. Like, yeah. I'm not surprised. Like, I mean, like, if I was her, I'd be upset, like, yeah. finding out that he was having affairs. I'd be upset that he was cheating. I'd be upset that he wasn't living his true self. Yeah, be... but you have to think, I guess, like you said, if you especially have four kids you've lived a long time together and you have a long history together it's yeah. not like a yeah, light switch like something you can just be like fuck you yeah yeah so yeah that just really sucks and um eventually in 2001 like i said the case was reopened and now dna testing had evolved to be able to be applicable for the NYPD to use. <laughs> so this method of um, DNA testing is called vacuum metal deposition. Deposition? Deposition. Yeah, Probably. thank you. Deposition. Probably, I don't really know. Yeah, something like that. And this technology actually came from the Toronto Police Department at the time, and they had allowed this type of tech to be used for this case for the NYPD. So look at Toronto stepping up to the plate. Like, hey, Toronto. <laughs> so this new technology allowed for police to go back and recover fingerprints from the objects at the crime scenes and lift prints. So this new technology allowed for police to go back and recover fingerprints from the objects at a crime scene and lift prints. After this, they can cross-examine the prints with anyone in the uh, police database and figure out if it makes any matches. Luckily, after running a couple tests, their system found a match to the fingerprints of a... I said patriotic. What the fuck does that even mean? Um, (laughs) uh, I meant to say... uh, Pediatric? Pediatric, yes. What the fuck? Mistype... I said patriotic. patriotic. (laughs) I said patriotic, too. I didn't even say it right. What's wrong? It's late. 
Yes, thank you. Um, he, he had been a pediatric, pedi- pediatric. She said it. Nurse at the Mount Sinai Hospital, and this person's name was Richard Rogers. All right. Now, the question stands as to why a pediatric pediatric thank you nurse was found in their database with a criminal record. Yeah, no fucking kidding. <laughs> so, it turns out that this Richard Rogers guy already had prints taken from a murder he had already committed. Bro. You know, I just realized Bateson and Rogers now are both working in health. What's going on there, New York? I don't know. But moving on. They let him slip. They really did. In 1973, Richard was tried for the murder of his then roommate, Fred Spencer, while attending University of Maine. Apparently, for unknown reasons, Richard decided one day to grab a claw hammer and beat his housemate to death with it. But for reasons we we won't ever understand, Richard faced a murder trial for this and was just exonerated. Bro. Yeah. So who the fuck is this Richard Rogers guy? Well, Richard Rogers was born June 16th, 1950 in Plymouth, Massachusetts. He was the eldest of five other siblings and was raised by both his father, which was, he was a lobster man, which I think is like, yeah, I don't know if that's a cook or you catch lobsters. But his mother was a telephone um, operator. So he had that. He had five siblings. And... Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I lost my place. Uh, uh, oh, okay. Telephone operator. Uh, telephone operator, thank you. Since the early years, Richard's parents kind of had a hunch that their son had been queer, but... That wasn't the main concern, because what the main concern was had happened in the late 1960s. It was between either 1966 or 1967, I get both, no matter the way I look at it. Richard, being around 17 at the time, had literally grabbed a knife, walked next door to his utterly neighbor's house, and just stabbed her. And it got him institutionalized. And released in 1968, Bro. only one year later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Allowing him to graduate high school. Bro. Yeah. Oh, my now, hurts. yeah, I know. Same. Mine does, too. Now, in university, he attended Florida Southern College, and he had went for his bachelor's degree. Um, he was well known to be very quiet and very to himself, but eventually he graduated, went to University of Maine in 1973 for a graduate's program. This is when, on April 28th, 1973, Richard struck his housemate on the back of the head eight times. According to autopsy reports, Frederick Spencer was still alive. He had been bludgeoned eight times was still alive. Yeah, it wasn't the official cause of death. Frederick died from asphyxiation. So basically, he was being bludgeoned to a pulp and wasn't enough for Richard. So he just decided to place a plastic bag over his head until he wasn't breathing. Uh, So keep in mind, this was all happening in Maine at the time, not New York. 
So Richard drove from home near the University of Maine down Route uh, 116 until he got to a forest called Birdstream Forest. And he had just dumped his body there like it was nothing. He was found days later on May 1st, 1973 by two cyclists and police found Frederick's post office key still in his pocket and they chased it back to the home where they found so much blood in the apartment. Crazy amounts. Now, no accurate reason came from the reason why Richard decided to do this to his neighbor, his housemate for no reason or his neighbor, but his housemate. And according to court files on this case, the two did not get along very well. During this interrogation, Richard claimed that it was self-defense, which he took to court to explain to jury, insisting that his roommate attempted to attack him with a roofing hammer. He got a hold of it and struck Frederick eight times in the head. And after deliberating for only three hours, the jury found Richard not guilty. How the fuck do you not find someone guilty? You just whack someone in the head eight times. You then place a plastic bag over their head. How is that not murder? How is that self-defense? You stabbed a lady, like, how many years ago? Yeah, like, she, yeah. Wow. He went, <laughs> yeah. You're, kid, you're, you're kidding me. So after being acquitted in 1973, Richard had moved to New York, where he practiced and studied at Pace University's School of Nursing, which... Quick side note, I actually was supposed to go to Pace University. Um, we see where that happened, so I stayed here in Michigan. Shout out Pace University. Hey, Pace, how's it going? I have some friends there, too. Um, well, anyways, he graduated in 1978 and hired, and was soon hired, after into the Mount Sinai Medical Center to work in the pediatric ward. This led up to... I said that right. Oh, my God. (laughs) This led up to 2001 when the police finally got a lead on Richard, who they learned had been a pretty appalling person, to say the least. Now, we're back at May 28th, 2001. So police wanted Richard to willingly come to the station. They went to his shop at Mount Sinai, where they tell him, hey, We think you're a victim of credit card fraud. Will you agree to come with us and come to the station to answer some questions? And Richard just says, yeah, sure. (laughs) So. Stupid. Stupid. So as Richard gets to the interrogation room, uh, detectives just come right out and say it. Sorry, dude, but uh, we're not here for some credit card scheme. We've been investigating this murder case and you're our prime suspects. Not a direct quote, but that's a good part of what they said. At first, Richard played coy, acting like he didn't really know what they were talking about. Then he admitted that he recognized the last known victim, Michael Sakara. But he quickly realized that the police had already known and linked him to these murders. So he just came right out and said nothing more. (laughs) Actually, he just left it at that. So he requested that he just get an attorney until investigators could construct a solid case against him. They held this asshole bail bond at $1 million, so he wasn't going anywhere. (laughs) And and during the search of Richard's home in Jersey, the investigators just started to find more and more evidence to find Richard guilty of the murders. And they would use this in court. Period. 
period. October 26, 2005 was when his trial finally began. During jury selection, Richard was offered a plea deal. This plea deal said if he pleaded guilty to manslaughter, he'd only receive two 32-year sentences with the possibility of parole after 15 years. I said only. That's a full life sentence. (laughs) On top of this deal, he was also, though, offered another plea deal that basically just said if he pleaded guilty to the third-degree murder of the investment baker that I had mentioned, Peter Anderson, he will only receive 10 to 20 years in prison. So you're telling... So (laughs) just to simplify this, He's given these plea deals. They simplified it down to 10 to 20 years in prison for the murders of dozen or not even a dozen, but who knows how many people. And uh, they're just going to be like, yeah, you can take it or you can leave it. Yeah, yeah. But fortunately, Rogers decided to decline the deal. So, yeah, I know, right? No asshole deserves to be walking around freely like that. Now, during trial, several witnesses testified against Richard, some of these being some witnesses that discovered the slaughtered remains, the fingerprint comparison analyst, and the investigators themselves. When searching through Richard's home, their investigators had told the jury that they reported finding a medication often used as a date rape drug called Versed. <laughs> highlighted passages in a book mentioning decapitation and dismemberment. A New Jersey road map marked exactly where the bodies had been placed. Boiling hot tea. <laughs> Polaroids of shirtless men with stab wounds drawn on them. Oh my god. Oh, oh, oh. And you know what? You know what else? What? Carpet fibers found consistent to the ones found on Thomas Macaulay's body. It's almost like he did it. Or it's something. almost it's almost like he did it. Oh, like my oh my god. So uh, they actually found him. <laughs> one more thing that they also found. The plastic bags, the same plastic bags that were made by the same uh plastic bags or that bodies are found in. So there's that too. One week later, in November 2005, after three hours and 45 minutes of deliberating, the jury found Richard Rogers guilty on all charges. Richard was then sentenced to two consecutive life sentences for, unfortunately, only two of the murders. The murders that he was tried for were 44-year-old Anthony Morero, I think I said that right, and 57-year-old Thomas McCauley. So, that is pretty much the end of that story. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, yeah, that that's... Uh, that's a whole lot of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I just thought that was a crazy case. And I, I kind of hope I kind of tied the two cases in kind of okay. Uh, all around, I just think it's just so crazy that... Um, Two serial killers, back to back, like, decade to decade, or era to era, could just, ugh, ugh, in the same place. Ugh. Ugh. But I hope that uh, you guys found that story interesting. I hope that, um, I don't even know what to say next after that. How do you even come back for that? That's a lot. As always, our hearts go out to the families of those victims. Um, 
and that's just terrible about the ones that didn't even get identified yeah yeah that is and it's like uh it's like paul is unfortunately not alive anymore so we will never know that's not even unfortunate well it's unfortunate to say that like <laughs> fortunate that we won't be able to know fortunate that he's not alive because oh we don't yeah <laughs> we don't we don't care about him but we do care about the fact that he took to his grave yeah what he did with these people yeah. and we don't even know who they are yeah that that really is the unfortunate part with the um richard side of things uh like uh <laughs> it's just crazy to me but um he is still alive to this day he is uh held in prison for the rest of his life but he is alive so Thanks. if you like to send him a box of shit you can do go that for go for it say it's from us it's fine <laughs> well with that um i think we can wrap up this episode for us uh stick with us till next week we have a fun episode coming up for you guys can't wait for it cute spooky episode yay great way to wrap up our season and um i think i think that's all i don't really have anything to wrap up with us other than follow us yeah you know where to find us you know where to find us wtlgo podcast basically everywhere um and then you can also send us a email if you like to that is wtlgo inquiries so everything else is wtlgo podcast then you have our email and yeah that's about it make sure to follow us make sure to uh send us love in any way you know how to and with that we will see you next when the light goes out take it easy everyone bye you need the sound of like the clicking of a light bulb like click you, oh i like should throw it in when you pull the lamp like a lampshade down not yeah. a shade but the the pull like the yeah the chain Ooh. the lampshade down we'll see you when the lights goes out Ch-ch-ch.